How we doing? My name is Ryan B. Hebert, and welcome to the Fast Crypto Podcast here on the Zen Sports Podcast Network. Alongside me today is a man who needs no introduction, Mark Thomas, CEO and co-founder of Zen Sports, and also the founder of Zen Sportsia, the metaverse for the future athlete. Um, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. It really is my pleasure, and really just everyone in the community who are getting behind Zen Sports, who are getting behind Zen Sportsia. We'll get into that in a moment. But first, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm amazing. Uh, it's a busy Friday at Zen Sports headquarters here in Miami. And uh, super excited to uh, talk about all the great things that we've going on at both Zen Sports, the parent company, and Zen Sports here, our new metaverse and uh, NFTs that we have coming up. Uh, sorry that I actually couldn't uh, kind of start being out there uh, on video and uh, on the podcast sooner, just been super busy as the whole team has been on ramping everything up here, uh, getting ready for NFT drop at the end of the month. But uh, I'm here now and uh, can't wait to talk about all the stuff we got going on. That's what matters. You're here now. We're doing it now. We're in the present and we're making it happen. Like you said, if there's one thing that I've learned at Zen Sports so far, Mark, is that there's always stuff going on. You're always trying to make stuff happen. And so being able to get you in a moment to be able to come on here, I love it. I'm so into it. So before we deep dive into Zen Sports real quick, Mark, I want to get a little bit of your backstory, a little bit of your history here for those who might not be familiar with you that are new with our Zen Sports here project or even new with Zen Sports as a brand new customer. So tell us, where did you grow up? I mean, if if you haven't seen Mark's Twitter, guys, you might know that he's a Milwaukee Bucks fan. Am, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Well, I'm a Wisconsin sports fan in general because okay. that's where I grew up. So I've, uh, I, I have this on my Twitter profile that I've been a... Brewers fan since 1987, uh, Bucks fan since 1988, and a Packers fan since 1992. Oh my goodness! Proud longtime fan. I gotta ask: um, Are you a part-time holder in the Green Bay Packers? I know they do a weird thing. Uh, I I'm just curious. Have you bought into that? I haven't. You know, it's one of those things where, look, I mean, at some point, yes, I should support the team in that way. I, you know, I, I. I do a lot of other things, you know, I go to the games, you know, I buy all the NFL uh, Sunday ticket stuff. I buy a lot of merchandise. So I support them in a lot of other ways. I just haven't bought those, uh, you know, the shares. They just did one, uh, a shareholder uh, sale a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, and they raised I think, like $65 million, uh, which is awesome. Uh, so it happened at some point, just I've been too busy with startup life to worry about that. But obviously I am diehard in the fact that I tune into every single game. I, you know, obviously focus time on social media about it. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's for me, uh, what has been going on here, uh, with Wisconsin sports in the last uh, few years, I think it's been pretty phenomenal. Uh, the box obviously won the title again, I will say for all those that are new to this podcast. Yes, I was at game six. Uh, and it was, uh, amazing to say the least. Uh, the Brewers have actually been, gone to the playoffs for four straight years, which has never happened before. Uh, and the Packers, while they've had uh, some major heartache in the playoffs, have been uh, 13 and three teams, well, 13 and four this year with the extra game, um, you know, for the last few seasons. So it's been a, it's been a good time uh, to be a Wisconsin sports fan, but it wasn't always so. Uh, we have had many, many, except for the Packers, they've been the one stalwart over yeah. the last 30 years, but but the Bucks and Brewers have had some pretty lean years, so for them to so for the Bucks to bring home a title last year, and for us to be able to have uh, Giannis and to be treated to that every night, I uh, watched almost the entire game against the Heat on Wednesday night, which was mm -hmm. an awesome, fantastic game, uh, and uh, just uh, absolutely great to to have those two teams doing really well. All three teams doing really well, and for the Bucks to bring home a title. 
Well, it's interesting to see you go, uh, go from uh, growing up in the Midwest all the way down there in Miami, and before that, out in California as well when you were a little bit younger. So let's take us back here. Where did you begin as a young entrepreneur, and what was your life like before Zen Sports? Yeah, so just a little bio on me. So I graduated from the University of Wisconsin, uh, go Badgers, uh, in 2000. Uh, then I uh, took a, my first job was actually in Green Bay at Schneider National, which is one of the largest trucking and logistics company uh, uh, companies in the country. I uh, was a financial analyst there, um, was really, really just kind of ready to, to leave Wisconsin, uh, you know, about a year later. And so um, in 2001, April 2001, I moved to San Francisco and uh, I will never forget it. I literally packed three suitcases Saved up twenty four, saved up twenty four hundred dollars, packed three suitcases, bought a one way ticket, and flew out to San Francisco. No job, no friends, didn't know anybody there. Um, didn't even have a place to live. I I basically stayed at a hotel uh, where the bathroom was down the hall, uh, and it was two hundred twenty five dollars a week to stay there. <clears throat> I got a temp job in a, about a week, and I got a permanent job at a biotech company uh, a few weeks into it there, uh, and I uh, was a financial analyst. I was about a year out of school. Um, but, you know, as you'll see, as I talk uh, a little bit more about my uh, entrepreneurial background, um, even in that regard, I was very entrepreneurial, right? I took, mm -hmm. you know, took a lot of, took a big chance, uh, flew across the country, didn't know anybody, know anything, and just said, hey, you know what, this is going to provide me with a better life and more opportunities, uh, which it did. And so I worked in corporate finance and accounting, doing a lot of FP&A, month and close, financial analysis, modeling, et cetera, for um a few different companies, Carl's Ice Vision, McKesson, and Gap Inc. Mm -hmm. And then in 2005, um, I started to get that real entrepreneurial bug. But at that, up to that point, I'd always been kind of afraid of taking the plunge and uh, doing something without knowing if I'd have a guaranteed paycheck. And so um, it was actually, it was a big deal for me. And so I, I, I started a resume writing uh, service business and recruiting agency whilst uh, uh, on the side while still working in corporate finance at the Gap. Got a couple of clients under my belt, uh, made some money uh, and said, you know what? It's time to do this thing full time. So I quit my job uh, at the Gap. I was 27 years old uh, uh, back in 2005 and uh, left to start my recruiting agency full time. It did very, very well, made quite a bit of money um, over the next three and a half years. Uh, then the financial crisis hit. I was able to sell uh, the recruiting agency uh, to a private uh, a group of individuals. And then um, I started my next company, uh, and which was my first tech startup, a uh, company called Say Hired, which automated the phone interview process uh, for companies. So for lower level positions, instead of doing like 100 phone screens, our system automated. In fact, we were one of the first apps built on top of Twilio. Uh, so Twilio launched 2008 is 2009, and that's when okay. Say Hired launched. And um, that was my first foray into tech entrepreneurship. And I've been in tech ever since then. So I've been in tech for the last 13 years um, and uh, then had a uh, worked at Intuit after uh, Say Hired didn't end up panning out, uh, worked at Intuit for about a year and a half as a senior product manager, then started a real estate SaaS software business uh, with a few other folks, John. July, our COO at Zen Sports was a co-founder of that company. Mm -hmm. uh, and so no job forever. Uh, and so that ended up having a, a nice exit. Uh, Realtor.com acquired Zen Sport, uh, acquired Recio in 2015, hung out at Realtor.com for a little over a year, and then uh, left to start Zen Sports uh, November, I believe it was November 1st of 2016. Okay. Wow. I mean, 
what a whirlwind there, taking us from 2000 all the way up to, uh, yeah. you know, the very start of Zen Sports. And uh, wow, my goodness, thank you so much, Mark. I mean, I can see why Zen Sports is doing so well. L- let me be honest, okay? You've you've got the gift of the gap, as uh, some would say. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's. I the- told you beforehand I like to talk. So. It's true. It's true. And I appreciate <laughs> it because there's nothing better than, you know, there's only so much I can do to pull out info out of a person, but then there there are people who will just give it to you, and you just give it to people. It's great. I, I love it. So, yeah, being on the other side of it, in your <laughs> shoes, it's a podcast. Has nothing is worse than asking a question and getting like a four word answer, and then having to like go, okay, give you a little bit more of that than that. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sometimes you worry that someone isn't going to give you enough, and then. You know, you never know what may provoke them to just go off on a tangent. It's 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 really, really an incredible thing when hosting a podcast and doing any type of conversation, right? I mean, you just never know what is going to bring something out of someone to truly make them feel comfortable in their own shoes, that sort of thing. So, Mark, yeah, I feel like I've got a good sense. I feel like people watching have a good sense of what your background is, how you started up, and uh, how that's influencing where you're going now. But before we get to modern day, before we get to right now, I'm going to go back just a little bit where you left off, which is the beginning of Zen Sports. Now, Zen Sports, correct me if I'm wrong, started off as a recreational sports product launch at the very beginning because, you know, you were were you actually playing recreational sports at the time looking for people to get together with, that sort of thing? Let's start. Yeah, there. so in addition, to being, in addition to being a big sports fan myself, um, I've always loved playing sports. So I mm-hmm. played tennis in high school, uh, played baseball, basketball, and football intramurally, um, you know, through middle middle school all the way through even college. Yeah. Um, and uh, had been a bowler, being from Wisconsin, uh, my whole life. In fact, I bowled collegiately while at Wisconsin uh, and then got into pool in 2007. So I've been definitely playing a lot of sports uh, my entire life. I'm very competitive. Uh, love the, I love a lot of things about playing sports. I love, of course, you know, the physical exercise, or even in the case of pool, just the, the mental and physical dexterity that is required. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with bowling. Um, but I also love the camaraderie, um, meeting new people. And then of course, working on your game and honing your skill sets to then go out and be able to win. Like for example, if with bowling, I'd started ever since I was five years old bowling, uh, bowled in leagues and tournaments. And then again, collegiately uh, for basically what, 23, 24 years. Uh, And with pool, I was okay at pool when I first got into it, but I was like, look, I want to, I want to be good, good. So I started taking lessons from a pro uh, bought a pool table uh, for my house back in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and was just working on my game for hours and hours and hours on end during my free time. Um, and I got pretty darn good. Um, now I have, I haven't really touched, uh, the pool queue in the last couple of years, just cause you know, there wasn't a lot going on in person with COVID, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't take me too much, I think, to get back into it. And just having those competitive juices was great. And, and the problem that I found, uh, with, with playing rec sports is that <clears throat> there wasn't a good way to find out and discover what was going on in your area in terms of leagues or tournaments. There wasn't an easy way to find just others nearby you to meet up and play for, for money or for fun. Uh, and even when you did find organized competition, it was very dis- disorganized, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, payments or entry fees was all disjointed. You know, you have to either bring cash. Uh, I never carry cash or you'd have to like pay PayPal and pay like a $5 surcharge for it. Um, and you never could find out 
what was going on in the tournament in real time. They might have a big paper bracket posted at the top or, um, you know, you'd have pen and paper all over the place, you know, it's just, just not yeah, well recreational done. Recreational sports right there for you. And so you yeah, found a way exactly. to kind of make, make an app, uh, that really would help folks in that area and in many others, I, yeah. I assume, uh, be able to organize and kind of just overall just have better organization, over their recreational sports in their local areas and, you know, provide updated scores, help with tournament fees and entry fees and, and prize payouts and stuff like that. That, that, you know, pretty much sounds like what, what I've read at, at the very least. Yeah, exactly. So you could find and register and pay for leagues and tournaments in your area. You could find people nearby you to meet up and practice or play with. Um, and then once you were in an organized competition, the brackets were right there on your phone. The stats were right there on your phone. Uh, the match play results were right there on your phone. The prize payouts were right there on your phone. So everything was just right there on your phone. Um, and we did that for about 15 months. Um, and that's when uh, my co-founder, Aton joined in early 2017. <clears throat> we launched that in February 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, but fast forward to May 2018. And uh, the, the real problem with Rec Sports is we got a lot of people using it, but there's no way to monetize it. Like tournament directors, when they get prize, when they get entry fees from players, they want to put all that entry, those entry fees towards prize money. They don't want to be paying for software. Um, and conversely, players don't want to certainly be paying for that. Um, we tried some other things like reservations at local uh, sports rec facilities. That was really kind of tough. So the bottom line is, is there was a demand for the product from a usage standpoint, but it was really tough to monetize. So obviously when PASPA uh, came about, uh, you know, when PASPA was repealed in May 2018, you know, that really changed things for us. You know, I've got a really strong poli-sci background, Mark. Um, it's what I studied in college alongside theater and stuff like that. And, you know, doing some research research into PASPA and just the constitutionality, if I just said that correctly. I'm uh, hoping I did. <laughs> um, that being unconstitutional is so correct. I mean, I cannot believe that uh, – was, I believe it was George H.W. Bush had, had put into law in the 90s uh, – just allowing Nevada and a few other states to be grandfathered in as the only states allowed to have some type of sports gambling. I mean, when I read over that, I was I was shocked. I mean, right. are, are we living in America? Or are we living somewhere else where they really just want to restrict you from from some certain freedoms? And so hearing that it was struck down in 2018, which, man, that that took a long time. Let's be real. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yeah. uh, the, you know, <laughs> uh, legislation gets through really slow in Washington. And so I'm sure stuff like that is not the first priority over, you know, war, uh, inflation, a housing crisis in 2008, you know, all that other stuff. So luckily for you guys, you're looking at what your product is. You say to yourselves, OK, this recreational sports stuff really isn't cutting it. But guess what? Legalization of sports betting is. And so. You guys took the time. You pinned down the larger pains of traditional books, fiat wagering companies, and you focused big time on the customer's choice for making bets alongside embracing the decentralized market of cryptocurrency, which I'm going to be honest, Mark, in 2018, if you were talking about crypto, people looked at you like you were a little crazy. And maybe even back in like 2014, 2015 is when I first started to hear about Bitcoin and and cryptocurrency, right? And I feel like 2018 was still really early compared to today when it comes to embracing crypto. I felt like there was a, a large hate, a large distrust for decentralization. But you guys said, no, we can actually embrace this because we think that there's an upcoming market for it. And oh boy, were you guys right? Because I mean, 
let's let's look at what the you know pop culture is looking at today. NFTs right. are everywhere. Everyone's talking about Dogecoin, crypto. I mean, Elon Musk can drop a tweet and control the price of of uh you know meme stocks and meme crypto. So right. it's it's crazy how you guys looked back at this in 2018 and said, you know, maybe uh, maybe a pivot to sports betting and and maybe crypto payments and wagering on that, you know, sort of idea could work. But how staggering of a task did that seem? I mean, because to me, entrepreneurial life, it's it's dangerous. You're living on the edge and you're not sure if you're going to get a paycheck. Right. And so. Yeah. So uh, 2017 was the ICO craze year. And uh, that's when I think things really started to take off in terms of, um, you know, interest, right? Uh, I think uh, that was, yeah, that was the year that Bitcoin took off from several hundred dollars to eventually the $20,000 peak that it hit in December of 2017. Mm -hmm. And so that year, 2017, was full of the initial coin offerings where people created cryptocurrencies, sold them, got them listed on exchanges, and had them traded. And so I started getting into crypto right about then, December of 2017. Okay. And bought my first Bitcoin that year or that month. Mm -hmm. And then um, started to get into day trading. That's actually how I got into cryptocurrencies and blockchain in general was was day trading crypto. So I started learning TA, technical analysis, um, from some different... uh, experts uh, that you know had great trading skills, and I did okay. Um, but then we started getting very, very busy with Zen Sports, which I'll talk about. Um, and so I couldn't really do that full time because if you're day trading, that's a full time job. If you're buying and yeah. holding, you can do that no problem uh, and do your normal jobs and everything else. But day trading, I mean, you have to be up at all hours, depending on and because crypto is a twenty four by seven market, you know, you have to sometimes set your alarm. Uh, you know, based on a price swing to get up at like 3.30 in the morning. And, you know, I'm like, I got work to do in a few hours. I can't be doing this. Yeah. So I had to kind of stop that. But what it did teach me was the power of crypto. It taught me the power of what blockchain technology could do because I didn't know anything about, about blockchain technology. And so basically six months later, May of 2018, when PASPA was repealed, you know, I turned to my co-founder, Aton, and I said, look, I said, the rec sports thing is nice, but it's not monetizable, as I just said. Uh, the Supreme Court just struck down the federal ban on sports betting. Sports betting is going to be sports betting is going to be huge in the next three to five years. Here, uh, all the states are going to legalize it because there's too much tax revenue and money at stake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, by the way, we can do this a hell of a lot better than these traditional bookmakers out there who are really unscrupulous. Depositing money into accounts is painful and difficult. We can do this a better way. We can build a peer-to-peer marketplace. We can still offer traditional book, but we can build a peer-to-peer marketplace where people can accept bets with each other and use cryptocurrencies to get rid of all the issues with regards to uh, gaming and gambling. Um, We definitely should touch on that because, I mean, there are so many problems with traditional fiat. And you're seeing it now with like all the stuff going on, even in politics, how banks and and even governments can make decisions about closing people's accounts down or freezing them down. And their only way out of it is crypto. Well, the gambling industry has had that issue for many, many years where banks won't do business with them. They'll freeze accounts. They won't process transactions, even illegal platforms and products. And it's really ridiculous. And crypto sells for all that. So, you know, we saw that back in 2018. And that's why we set out to build, you know, what we did with uh, sports betting. Yeah, not to get too political, Mark, but I know that the war in Ukraine right now, with all of these sanctions that are being put onto Russia, you know, earlier this week, uh, the price of Bitcoin has skyrocketed. And, you know, it's not you, you don't need to be dumb to think about the fact that 
well, how is Russia going to get money into the country if they're being put into a stranglehold with sanctions? Well, Bitcoin is actually one of the one of the easiest ways. Cryptocurrency is one of the easiest ways for this country to be able to get uh, some money with all of these sanctions being put on them. Um, and anyways, that's that's all I wanted to say on that. Like, well, and real quickly on that topic, uh, Jason Kilcanis, who's a two-time investor in Zen Sports, yeah, uh, but uh, DHH, the founder of um, Basecamp, on his podcast last week, and I think it was the best podcast ever because uh, DHH basically said, "Hey, I didn't believe in crypto. Now with what's going on right now, I do because yeah. like I really believe that um, that decentralization of payments and the movement of money is critical." Um, and it's going to be one of the biggest things that we solve for, you know, in the next 10 years. And so, um, but, you know, the, like I said, the gambling industry has been encountering this uh, for quite some time. Um, and so now the rest of the world's kind of waking up to another use cases, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so you guys say to yourselves, okay, we are going to take this task and we're just going to dive right on in. And that's what you guys do. You dive right on into building uh a, a fully a fully built out uh, sports betting platform, embracing crypto rate, wagering and payments. And um, you say to yourselves, okay, well, we need to get a gambling license to be able to do this. And so, you know, uh, you obviously the first thing's instinct, I'm sure, is to go, okay, how much is that within the United States? And uh, you look at it, and you go, okay, well, that may be a little bit, a little expensive. And so, Zen Sports actually first did their business in the island nation of Curacao. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong um, with that name. Um, I, I spent time last night making sure that I could say that correctly. I just I wanted <laughs> to get it right. Thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting that you guys chose Curacao. And this is a trend that I've seen a lot of tech companies actually do. A lot of these islands in uh, south of the United States, uh, in the Caribbean, around that area, offer, you know, really great incentives for companies in the north to come on down and have low costs for gambling licenses, uh, little to no taxes. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why a company like yourself would say, okay, Things are pricing in the U.S. right now. We want to test out our business model, but we don't want to pay the costs of what states are wanting us to pay. And so you started out with the I island. I just don't Asia. want to. Can't. Okay. Yeah. That too. I mean, it, it, money doesn't just come out of nowhere, Mark. And so right. you guys said to yourselves, okay, let's be realistic. Uh, we need to set, We need to get a gambling license, but it's not going to be in the U.S. right now. Heck no. And so – when was the first consideration for a gaming license in a foreign country? I feel like, I, to me, I, I'm not smart enough to go, yeah, we could just go to another country and go, yeah, uh, I'll get a license there. Right. Well, so when PASPA got repealed, really for that first year of or the rest of 2018, the only state that uh, legal, the only two states that legalized it were Delaware mm -hmm. and beyond Nevada, of course, were Delaware and New Jersey. And in researching the cost to get licensed there, I mean, it was going to be in the millions and millions and millions of dollars. And we just simply didn't have that as a small early stage startup. So it wasn't like I just said a second ago that we didn't want to. Uh, we actually did, uh, but we just couldn't. I mean, you know, we were, we first had to revamp the product, right? So that took about seven or eight months yeah. uh, to revamp the product, to be a sports betting product, not a rec sports product. And, you know, without any traction in the gambling or sports betting industry, we weren't going to go raise millions and millions of dollars on uh, getting a license. So we really didn't have a choice, um, you know, instead of millions and millions of dollars, getting a Curacao license was, you know, uh, whatever, 10 or $20,000. And so, you know, that was much more reasonable for us to be able to afford. And by getting that Curacao license, um, that allowed us to go into a handful of countries 
uh, that have reciprocation agreements with Curtis Stout to do that. Um, same thing why we didn't even, we, we, it was even too cost prohibitive for us to go get a UK gaming license. And UK gaming license is probably only about three, four, five hundred thousand somewhere in that ballpark, okay. depending on a few things. So we didn't, we couldn't even really afford that. I mean, again, we were early, early, early stage, you know, right? A, few, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank, but yeah. a little burn rate. There's only three of us on the team. So it was a very different, you know, scenario. And so we had to get a Curacao license. And so that's what we did. And we got that. And then we launched in a handful of uh, countries in Europe in uh, early 2019. And we, as you just said a minute ago, we used that to prove out product market fit, prove out the model, generate revenue, get early returns, show that people wanted this product and that there was demand for it. And then the plan all along was to use that demand to go into the U.S., um, and then we, you know, as we can talk about here in a little bit, got presented with that opportunity in 2020. You know, I, I hear similar themes, Mark, to when you first started out going to California uh, with the start of Zen Sports and getting this gaming license. I'm just I'm, I'm getting a, a similar sense that, a, you know, a headfirst approach going all in, really putting as much effort as possible. But this time you had a couple people linking arms with you saying, okay, we're going to jump off this cliff together and uh, we're going to do it confidently. And my goodness, uh, did it present very well for you guys? Over 57,000 different transactions happening on there um, with uh, a lot of di- a lot of money coming in for you guys. It really did prove itself to be something fruitful. And so, you know, before we get into how you guys got into, into the U.S., did this present a challenge at all when applying for uh, anything in the U.S. gambling scene, having been overseas in different countries? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> U.S. regulators really don't like international business except for in a handful of countries that are, you know, kind of the other big superpowers like the U.S. And that would include Canada, the U.K., Germany, Australia. <clears throat> but they don't like, uh, you know, no offense to the people in uh, Romania or Slovakia. Love those countries. Love those people. Um, but the gambling regulators here just don't know much about those markets. And so they don't like it. Um, yeah. It's just the reality of the situation. And so as part of getting our Nevada gaming license, uh, that was one of the requests that they and our legal counsel had for us, which was to pause that business. Uh, even though we had every legal right to be operating there, there's nothing wrong from a legal perspective. It was just a appetite, a risk appetite um, that they just didn't have here. Now, it doesn't mean that the international markets are completely closed to us. We certainly have um, plans to go back into the international markets. Uh, we just have to uh, really kind of run everything by the Nevada Gaming Control Board or the other regulators here in the U.S. Um, you know, as to whether they're okay with it. Uh, we probably have to get country-specific licenses. So mm-hmm. the Curacao Gaming License is great. That's vetted out by many countries. But, you know, Nevada and other regulators here in the U.S. probably want to see, hey, you want to go into Norway, you need a Norwegian license. You want to go to Denmark, you need a Den- Danish license, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that's just that's work. I mean, that's work and cost and time and money. So we will pursue that again, just not right this second. We've got too much else going on. And um, while we are doing a lot, and I think that's good because we have great tech behind it, uh, you still got to have some focus. And so trying to do everything at once is probably not the right idea. So we'll we'll go back into those markets, just not right now. Yeah, and it doesn't. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. Looking at the political scene of the United States between 2016 and 2020 with Donald Trump as the president, there was a really strong foreign policy push towards America first when it came to business, when it came to relations. Um, 
just just with my background. So I don't know how much that affected you guys in your decision making, but I do know that um, you know, just in media in general, there was there was really a larger push on the upper federal level for, hey, if you're a business in America, we want you to be doing American business, which not everyone agreed with, and I'm sure was definitely a pain in the butt for you guys because you're like, we don't want to exclude the international markets. We love our customers overseas and we want to get back to them. But in order for us to get to our main goal, uh, we just have, you know, a temporary pause is, is what has to happen for right now. But like you said, and, and put it beautifully, Mark, um, it's not closed off forever. It is definitely a plan in the future for Zen Sports, but there is not a time set for the moment because, I mean, right. let's get in. Let's start getting into a little bit of now. So the Nevada gaming license opportunity comes your way in collaboration with one of the angel investors for Zen Sports, Grant Lincoln who also is the CEO of Strategic Gaming Management and owns a couple casinos in Nevada. And so Zen Sports um, is able to get in on a great deal because uh, you need a physical location in order to apply for the Nevada gaming license, which, I mean, makes sense if you want to do some betting in Nevada. Maybe you need a physical place. And so Grant has a Big Wheel Casino, uh, which is – is that in Reno? No, that's in Lovelock, which Lovelock. is about 90 miles east of Reno. Okay. So he owns uh, Baldini's, which is in uh, Reno. Well, Sparks, technically, but it's a suburb of Reno. Um, Big Wheel, uh, which is in Lovelock. Okay. Uh, and then uh, another one called Battle Mountain, which is uh, also in Nevada. And how did your time uh, or how did you meet Grant Lincoln? I mean, how did, how did you know, with, with the many years that you've had as an entrepreneur, how did this come up? Because, I mean, you proved to do great business overseas and then all of a sudden Grant Lincoln just shows up and is like, hey, I got I got Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he started chatting with us on our website. Okay, that's great. That's <laughs> in great. January, in January 2019, he's like, hey, I like what you're doing. Uh, would you be interested in angel investment? Uh, so we started talking uh, over the next month or two and then he made an angel investment um and that's kind of where it stood for a while for about a year uh and then in april of 2020 after covid hit we started talking about hey how can we expand this thing you know it's, it's even despite covid things were still going pretty well um because people were betting on esports and other stuff right and so he's like look how can we expand this and bring this to the u.s like you've proven it out internationally what you know what can we do here i said well I said, you know, honestly, the Nevada would be great to go into, but the brick and mortar requirements, you know, pretty onerous. So we came to some really good terms um, on buying Big Wheel Casino um, and uh, the right to purchase it, I should say, yeah. uh, pending a gaming license. And so we struck that deal uh, summer of 2020, August of 2020, uh, actually July 2020, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we started the gaming license process August of 2020. And then we got our gaming license August of 2021. So it wow. took about a year uh, for us to, and it really from the time that Grant and I started talking to uh, getting gaming license was like 16 months. Uh, and, uh, and then we've been going through the tech certification in Nevada for like the last six, seven months. And we're finally planning on launching there later this month or early next month. Um, it's been a long journey, but once we're in, we're in. Right. Yeah. And so that's a good thing. But we, we, we have been operating the big wheel casino since October. Uh, there are 51 slot machines there. Um, and we will be also taking over the sports book at Baldini's as well, not the slots at Baldini's, but just the sports book. And then, uh, potentially looking at other casino acquisitions in Nevada as well, too. Um, you know, over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, uh, to continue to grow our footprint there. I mean, it's, it, that business is doing well, both the slot machines and soon to be the sports betting business. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting, exciting stuff for sure. 
You know, I, I, I myself, you know, I may not be a big gambler, but when I do, I do like to hit the slots, Mark. I, I, I'm a you. Fan. You're I a do. slot machine guy. I'm a slot guy. I mean, listen, if I can get a drink and put in some coins, stuff like that, maybe a couple dollar, but who knows? Who knows? It's what I, it's what I've done. So yeah, once I, once I get out uh, to Nevada one of these days, I'll, I'll definitely have to go buy Big Wheel and uh, Baldwin yeah. as well. Well, I mean, it's on the way to Burning Man, okay. so we are planning on holding a big. <laughs> Uh, Burning Man party there this September. Oh, um, oh, okay. It's like literally on the way. Uh, yeah. I, I believe it's on 80. Uh, so, yeah, so we're going to have a big Burning Man party there in September and uh, invite all the VCs and entrepreneurs and founders that are uh, on their way to man and uh, have a big party at the Big Wheel Casino. That's sweet. Okay. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. I mean, listen, folks, if you're listening in and you want to know where the cool people are going to be at before Burning Man, I mean, sounds like Big Wheel Casino is going to be the spot. So yes. this is your in now, ladies and gentlemen. This out. is your in now. Don't miss out. Uh, getting so, back on track here. So it's not legal on a <laughs> – Wait a minute. Wait. Is that, is, that, is that me or is that you? <laughs> no, me. <laughs> You're doing a great job. I was getting off. Thank you. I I pride myself. I pride myself on the. Uh, I don't know no, whether to like call it great. steering or guiding or you know. It's just I I feel myself as a tour guide throughout. That's good. That's throughout the topics that we have, right? So absolutely, hell yeah, it works out. So I wanted to I wanted to uh, deep dive here because you know we've we've kind of touched on some of the lighter stuff about you know early Zen Sports history, but let's get into some nitty gritty. So. Um, you know, gaming licenses are expensive. You've mentioned that before, and it's not legal on a federal level, which it's a shame because if you do some quick research, you can find out that there's a lot of money to be made in sports gambling, which is why, you know, this is not the same whatsoever, but I think about the legalization of marijuana in states all around the country and how there's been a huge push for that and how much money there is to be made and how much money has been made. And so sports gambling is obviously different than than a drug, right? But I just, you know, there it's just things like this where it's like there's so much of it being done illegally that if you legalized it, the government could get their hands on some of that money, which the which is what the government likes to do. Um, yeah, but if you think about it, the lottery system has always been a state-run lottery system ever since the beginning of time. The federal government has never run a, a you know nationwide lottery, yep. despite the fact that there's tons and tons of tax revenue that could be pulled in. And this just comes you know to the concept of the U.S., which is a uh, federalism, right? It's like except for things like uh, the military, uh, education to some degree, mm-hmm. um, transportation to some degree. And a few other things, they pretty much let the states kind of do what they want. Um, And so that's really the issue here is that the federal government, even if they wanted that tax revenue, honestly, they and and actually, I think what would end up happening if they did is probably states would probably go after them and say, no, this is our territory. We have the right to determine what's right. And then the probably the Supreme Court would probably side with the states in that. So I if you're kind of going down the route of, hey, will this ever happen at the federal level? I sincerely doubt it. I mean, you've had lotteries in this country for 35, 40 years, and it's never been at the federal level. I don't see it happening anytime soon with sports betting or, or online gambling in any way. So do you see this as really a buyer's choice to find the state with the lowest cost for entry into a gaming license? I mean, is that simply what it, what it looks like from an outsider like myself? Because I'm not a pro when it comes to looking at all of the different states that have legalized, which I believe last I checked, there are over 33 states, including the district of Columbia that have legalized gambling, sports gambling, and so is it a, a buyer's paradise or is it really a buyer's uh, kind of, you know, worst nightmare to have to try to find which one is the lowest cost of entry? 
well, worst nightmare, but not just because of the lowest cost thing, but because the process is different in every freaking state. Um, Now, that being said, Nevada is generally the longest process. So most states don't take a year to get licensed. Most states is a few months and you can run them in parallel. The issue of, of course, is the money part, what you talked about, but other factors too, like some states require you to have a brick and mortar presence like Nevada does. uh, And then you've got to either own or partner with a brick and mortar casino to be able to do that. So that's a pain that costs, that's the business development time. You've got to strike a partnership, strike a deal. Um, and then obviously have the money to execute on that. Mm-hmm. Other states, you can just go in like Tennessee and Virginia. You can just go in mobile only without any brick and mortar requirement. And you don't have to worry about that. But it's not just a simple, okay, let's just go into the states that are the cheapest. You got to factor in, well, you know, what I just talked about, business development deals, marketing costs, um, you know, uh, legal costs. Um, and then also which state is going to perform the best, right? So maybe it's like New Jersey, it's 10 to $20 million all in oh, yeah. to get licensed there, but it's worth it because it's tied with Nevada for, or around, you know, they're pretty close, um, like one and one eight in terms of the betting handle they do every year, right? It's like, they do like 12 billion handle every year. Yeah. So it's worth it, right? So it's not just a simple, okay, let's just spend the cheapest amount. Like West Virginia is like one of the cheapest licenses to get. It's like hundred or 200 K, Yeah. but it's small. And I'm so that's going to West Virginia to, to make bets. I mean, well, and you still have to get a brick and mortar. You still have to get a brick and mortar partnership there yeah. too. Uh, yeah. So I mean, Tennessee is a great state because they're mobile only. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have brick and mortar. They're pretty friendly on the peer to peer and crypto side. And then um, that's the other factors is, you know, the friendliness of it towards those kinds of products. Mm-hmm. And then they, they do pretty good handle. They're going to do probably two, three billion in handle this year. So well, it's There's not called Nash there. Vegas for nothing, Mark. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard that term, right? No, but I haven't. It's uh, so I it. when I went to Nashville I like in 2018, um, I, I I got there and my friends were telling me, well, they call this place Nash Vegas, and I go, why? And they go, it's basically the Vegas you go to if you're not going to Las Vegas. And I go, no way. And as soon as you go downtown in Tennessee, and you see it, I mean, it's it is and it's. It is apparent. Bridal parties everywhere on, you know, the the buses all getting drunk with each other, driving around. Heck, people were driving around on the backs of pickup trucks through downtown Nashville. I mean, it is truly Nash Vegas. Um, And it it was so hilarious to see. And we'll be getting to this uh, a little bit towards the end here. But I know it is Tennessee is one of the next stops for Zen Sports here in the future that I was reading on the uh, newly released white paper and, and roadmap, uh, which is, you know, kind of what we're referencing here uh, through, yep. throughout our, our talk. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so, okay, cool. So uh, gaming license, bearer for entry, which states are going to do the best. So you've got Big Wheel Casino now. You've been operating that since October of 2021. Is is that the yep the correct, correct. month? And so, yeah. how has that impacted the work balance between having a brick and mortar location versus also having to build out and manage the app? Because these are both big deals. I mean, you started out with the app, and that's that you know that's kind of like your baby, right? But you know, this brick and mortar location is a really integral process in Nevada uh, for being able to get the gaming license. And so, you know, you've hired out a team that is obviously helping you in Nevada because you are not going to Nevada yourself to manage this physical location. What's that been like to impact your work life? Well, thankfully, you know, as part of the transition of, of purchasing Big Wheel, the existing Big Wheel employees that were there working under strategic gaming management have transitioned to Zen Sports and are still working there. 
Yeah. So Connie, for example, who's been working there for 15 years, she still works there um, and manages everything. Uh, and so does the rest of the staff. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, it's not like we had to do a bunch of hiring or training or anything like that. Um, I'd say most of the uh, kind of extra workload that's come from it has been transitioning all of the compliance and tax filings and everything else that comes with uh, the reporting and stuff like that, that has to be done on a monthly, quarterly and annual basis for it. Um, just them getting us and our team up to speed on that stuff. But strategic gaming has been great. Their finance and compliance team has been spectacular in working with us uh, every single week on getting all that stuff ready. We've got, I think we've got that as a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've got all the processes down and everything like that. So at this point, it's it's turnkey, right? It, it does its thing. And uh, there's not a ton of extra work that needs to be done that wasn't already being done before. Um, but now we will be adding a sports book to that location that didn't have one before. So okay. that's really kind of the new big work there is adding the sports book location. And our GM of casino and sports betting operations, Robert uh, Kowalski, uh, is handling all that from getting the counter area built out to the color and the paint and the branding and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, we'll obviously be managing the logistics of it once, once that goes live in the next four to six weeks. So, I mean, honestly, it's, it's really not been bad. And what's kind of cool about this is now that we've got this process down with this casino, this is kind of why I was mentioning before that, you know, we, we may have some appetite to buy additional casinos, you know, in Nevada because we know how to do it. And, uh, we've got this process, I think in pretty good order. So then it just becomes a matter of, you know, hiring or having the right people uh, or hopefully having them in place if we buy an existing location, um, et cetera. So I think it's pretty interesting that this has actually been, uh, it's kind of opened our eyes up to that this is a, a very doable business to manage beyond just sports betting. Um, and so, yeah, I could easily see in our future buying more casinos. And that to me is pretty exciting for Zen Sports to have more brick and mortar. I, I feel like that's always the dream sometimes for companies that start online, they start with an app, they start with a website, they have some type of physical store, they're selling a product. In your case, you're doing sports gambling. And uh, for a lot of people, they their eventual goal sometimes is to have that physical location. So you guys are doing it. You have the famili familiarity with that. Now, shifting over to how big of a deal the gaming license is for Zen Sports, because DraftKings and FanDuel don't have the same things that we are you know have been getting into with this and so how big of a deal is it for us to have this license over the larger books and companies that have you know a really strong hold right now over <laughs> sports gambling in general well at the highest level if you take a step back those companies are still doing wonderfully right um even with the recent downturn in the market both of those companies FanDuel, DraftKings and even the others like Caesars MGM mm -hmm. um are still doing well as businesses I think DraftKings is in like 16 or 17 of the 33 states that have legalized it, which, by the way, kind of is very interesting. Their market cap is in the billions of dollars, and they're only half the states that they could be. Um, so that's that says that the opportunity is just really tremendous. Yeah. Uh, so, in, so, so we got to give them their credit. You know, they've done a great job. In terms of Nevada specifically, though, yeah, I think that we definitely have a leg up on them uh, because we have been entrenched in that process for the last year and a half, almost two years. Um, and we are, uh, we've already got a casino there. We're going to be launching sports betting there shortly. I mean, we are, uh, you know, this, this is all of our focus, right? And so I think it's kind of natural that if something is all of your focus and something for another company is part of their focus, 
you know, we should be able to outperform them there, except for the areas that, you know, they just purely need money in deep pockets to pay for something. Yeah. Um, so that is still a challenge, by the way. You know, it's, I mean, we're still a startup in that regard. Uh, we don't have $2 billion in the bank like they do. Uh, but in terms of execution, technology, execution, et cetera, I would hope that we can perform well there since that is our focus, right? Um, but I mean, they're obviously at some point going to enter that market. And, you know, I, I believe we have the better product, right? I believe we have everything they have plus the peer-to-peer piece, plus the crypto piece, the social component, the esports component, uh, even now with the NFTs, which we're going to talk about. So yeah, I, I think we're in good shape. Very much so, Mark, as as you've said. I, I think, you know, Zen Sports is in a great spot right now. And it's it's taken the time to set up the foundation to really build up some really great infrastructure for itself to build into something beautiful. So I'm excited to see how that's going to look within the next year. And, um, you know, one of the big things that Zen Sports has been doing, you know, beyond this gaming license and the sports betting is deep diving into esports. Esports is an industry, folks, that if you're not familiar with it, you should be. I'm a co-host of the Esports Forever podcast with our GM of esports, Jacob Schrader. And, um, you know, esports is a booming industry. It's been booming since around 2010 when, you know, consoles were first getting together, Xbox 360s at LAN tournaments and in malls and convention centers and, you know, all these different types of things. Teams started forming. Uh, Companies started getting behind these teams, started sponsoring them as tertiary sponsors. And all of a sudden you have major brands and companies you know, funneling this money into an industry that people thought was, oh, it's just a video game. It's not going to be anything real. It's not right. going to be legit. But folks, get with the program, okay? I'm Mark, you know this. I know this. The amount of money being dropped and spent and the amount of hours being watched for video games for some of the biggest titles, such as League of Legends, Overwatch, yeah. Valorant. I mean, the Riot has done an amazing job taking their IP and putting it all over the world and uh, so many other companies as well. Esports right. are here to stay. They're making big money. And so Jacob Schrader gets brought on part-time. And I got to ask, what was his original part-time job? Was it focused on crypto and decentralization or how did that like how did you guys like first you know decide okay where i'm gonna bring jacob on right and uh just for the quick backstory uh gotta read the white paper out there folks but uh we talk about this how we started bringing the esports piece into zen sports so really quick without you know playing too much of a spoiler what's in the white paper basically um uh i did a podcast on jacob's podcast uh, in early 2020. Okay. Uh, and uh, so that's how I met him. And then we just started talking over the next few months. And I was like, hey, look, you know, I think you could really bring some cool esports content to us. Um, and why don't you come join us part time while you're still in school? So he did. And then he's like, wow, you have all these like tournament features from this old rec sports stuff. What if we just start hosting esports tournaments in it and see what happens with that? I was like, sure, go for it. Doesn't really require any, I mean, required a little bit of you know, a few weeks of like, you know, polishing up a few things, but sure. wasn't really overwhelming. So I said, yeah, go for it, you know, see what happens. And really since I'd say the last 15 months or so, uh, we've been hosting a variety of different esports tournaments in our app. Started first with some open source games so we didn't have to worry about getting licensing agreements like Azunotic um, and so forth. And then last summer, summer of 2021, we struck a deal with Splinterlands, which is one of the fastest growing blockchain based games out there uh, to host their tournaments in our app. And we've been doing that for the past uh, nine months or so. And then just most recently this year in January, 
uh, we got uh, the approval from Axie Infinity to do tournaments for Axie uh, in our app. And so, uh, and along the way, Jacob graduated from school and joined us full time and is on our executive team. Yeah. Um, and it's just, he, it, he's actually just been doing an amazing, amazing job and crushing it with really up to, I'd say maybe about two months ago, not a lot of support on the development side. Uh, all of our tournament features were still buried under our sports betting product um, without its own user experience or anything. And just literally this month, we're launching our uh, new Zen Sports Play app that has that is dedicated to the esports features. And so uh, Jacob is finally going to get a dedicated product to his uh, to his area uh, that he can promote. And so if he's done this good of a job with uh, difficult to maneuver UX and UI and not a ton of like marketing support and stuff like that, I I'm stoked to see what he's going to be able to do with that support. And so um, you know I and I completely agree with everything you said at the beginning about, you know, people kind of laughed or thumbed their noses at, you know, esports a few years ago, that it's just a bunch of, you know, college age kids playing video games in their mom's basement. It's not, it's so much more than that. And the gamification of prizes, uh, NFTs, crypto, uh, blockchain into these games is going to make it, I think, one of the top two or three pastimes um, in the world. Uh, in the next few years. And so uh, we want to be at the forefront of that, uh, Zen Sports does, and uh, we want to be at the forefront of organized uh, esports competitions and gaming. We want to be at the forefront of community for these gamers. Uh, We want to support them in every way possible. That includes, of course, offering prize money. That includes giving them an amazing product and user experience Mm -hmm. with which to manage and do everything in. Um, And, uh, you know, with our NFTs coming up this month, uh, you know, that is, it's going to be a perfect tie in everything else that we're doing. Well said, Mark. Um, esports is, is going to be big, period. It's, it's going to be great. Um, it's, we, Jacob and I talk at length almost every week about this uh, change from, uh, you know, buying a game for $60 as what it is, no problem. And then, you know, over time, companies, you know, were like, oh, let's add DLC, you know, an extra 10, 15, 20, maybe even $30, right? And then now, in the last five to 10 years, we've seen Fortnite, one of the largest AAA titles uh, for, for games right now, move to a micro microtransactional model, which, you know, had been around for a long time for a lot of mobile web apps and mobile app games, but it hadn't be seen hadn't been seen at the highest level for AAA titles where you get a free game that is usually sixty dollars. And then the only thing you have to pay for are cosmetics that you choose whether or not you want to buy to show off to your friends, family, your Twitch stream, whatever. It is truly a great process, and so now the question is, will the idea of blockchain-based games and NFTs make its way into the AAA space where you know there are only a certain amount of items or skins that you can get in a specific game? This has sort of been done in the past with uh, games such as CSGO, where players would have very rare skins or uh, for guns or things like that that would not be uh, given out again, and so players would sell their accounts you know, to, <laughs> to to get the access to these things. You know, people still do this today with either CSGO or, for example, League of Legends, where there are very rare skins that are given out to champions in this game, a character that you can play. And it's not accessible anymore from the store to buy. So what do you do? You sell an account with the skin on it to somebody on eBay. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. Is that technically allowed? 
No. But are people doing it because they want access to these to these things? Yes. So how could we make that better? We put in uh, a blockchain-based system where people are able to buy and sell these different uh, pieces. And instead of it being done illegally, I mean, the publishers themselves could make huge money. There's a lot of potential here off of just the, the transactions happening themselves because there's a cost to that. And so the possibilities are endless. Esports, it's going to be big. It's going to be great. And We'll see if uh, AAA titles and publishers will embrace NFTs for the future. Certainly right now, we know that companies and businesses are, but the gaming community and the artist community is pretty much, I would say, Mark, it's at a 50-50 right now. We either get a, a lot of love for NFTs or we either get a lot of hate for NFTs. Both sides are legitimate in their reasoning and why they love it or hate it. Um and at the end of the day, it's, you know, buyer beware. You are in charge of your own money. If you want to go out there, put your money into something, that's on you. No one is telling you. You have to go out and buy an NFT or buy crypto, you know, but. Yeah. So a couple of things there. One is that's exactly right. Nobody's tying a seatbelt around your waist saying you must go do this. And I think that backlash stems from a lack of personal responsibility. Yeah. Um, I, th I think there's kind of a lot of extremism in today's um economy where you have the go-getters the entrepreneurs the people or, or even employees that work really really hard and they want to take control of their destiny and there's others that want to be more passive and then they blame it on others when they when things don't work out and that's not right that's one thing the second thing is i have to say about with regards to nfts is that how is it any different than traditional regular artwork Traditional regular artwork is speculative. Traditional regular artwork is in the eye of the beholder. Traditional regular artwork can have middlemen and shady dealings and all sorts of other crap going on. How is this any worse, right? You have to, if, if you're going to have a problem with new technology, you really have to make a case for how is it worse than what is currently going on in the physical or previous technology world. You can't say, oh, it's the same thing, so it's bad. Uh, you know, that doesn't work. Uh, you got to actually say, hey, you have you have uh, made things worse or you have degraded the existing experience in some way. And that just hasn't happened with NFTs. I don't care what anybody says. All the same issues that people have with NFTs uh, exist in the physical world with uh, artwork or other types of IP or other stuff, right? It's the same thing with crypto. When people said, oh, crypto is being used for drug dealings, crypto is being used for money laundering, crypto is being used for this or that. And I'm like, you know what else is used for that? Cash. Cash, Cash. is used for <laughs> drugs and crimes and money laundering. Yep. So your argument doesn't hold. It's not any worse than cash. Maybe you don't want to use it. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But you can tell me it has now made cash worse uh, or has made things worse because you're using this instead of cash. Right. And so that's the issue. Um, so I, I, you know, I, to naysayers that are out there, you have to actually say, how is this any worse than the previous experience that's out there? And I, I just don't think you can. Like, it's not any worse than what is happening today uh, previously. Yeah. And a lot of like, I think there are two big things that I hear a lot, Mark, that have been addressed because it's 2022 and we know how to fix these problems. Number one, artists and creators having their work stolen from them and put up on OpenSea. OpenSea regularly works with artists and there is a process. I mean, it's been documented all over the internet. You can Google search it. My art has been stolen on OpenSea as an NFT. How do I get it back? Patience is always required with most things in life, so you got to be patient. But 
they will work with you to take down the art if you have actual ownership over over it if you if you've made it like number one that's the first thing number two the ecological benefits or uh cons to uh the blockchain to crypto in general yes crypto mining is not great for the environment because it uses electricity well guess what do you know how canvas is made do you know how oil-based paints and i mean multimedia art is also created Everything has a cost. It is not a, you know, uh, crypto is totally bad for the environment. Do you know how many trees have to be cut down to produce the the pads of paper that you like to sketch on? The canvases that you like to paint on? I mean, they got to build those canvas frames out of wood of some kind or they have to smelt metal to make crappy aluminum frames. I mean, there is always a human cost to production that's just what the industrial industrial revolution was all about in the 1800s so i feel like i feel like we should have gotten past that at some point to say well it's fear i mean it's it's people afraid of what they don't know right yeah so people are afraid of nfts because they don't know about it people are afraid of crypto because it's unknown uh, i'm talking about the naysayers i'm not talking about the people that just say nothing that don't get into it they're yeah. just okay not to get into it I'm talking about the people that are actively and vocal against xyz it's generally fear of the unknown. I mean, people, it's a human, you know, instinct for thousands and millions of years is, 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 uh, you know, to, to push back on stuff that you don't know. And again, I kind of, what you just said is like, I've yet to hear an argument against crypto or NFTs that doesn't also apply to the existing technologies that have existed for many, many, many years and decades. Uh, so I just, you know, I mean, I, I'm like, whatever. Okay, fine. Uh, I get it. But you, I can make the same argument about, like I said, with crypto versus cash. I can make the same freaking argument about cash being used for all these nefarious issues uh, and having problems. But guess what? You had, you were born and grew up with cash. So you know that well, and you are comfortable with it. So you're willing to overlook the negatives of it. So that's really, again, what it comes down to. It's really about the fear of the unknown. So let's let's take away that fear a little bit here and deep dive into the last section of this podcast today, Mark. The release and the drop of Zen Sportsia, the metaverse centered around athletes and gaming. You could folks, yeah, yeah uh, you can read the whitelist and go into the deep depths of like what the the story is behind it. But uh, Mark, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, you know, the biggest thing is that this NFT drop is happening March 28th, 2022, which is, uh, you know, counting regular days, not business days, uh, doing quick math, 24 days away is when that pre-sale is going to be happening on the 28th. Um, and those are for folks who join the whitelist, hop on there. And then I believe two days later on March 30th is the public sale. But listen, we're not focused on that. We're focused on the pre-sale because that's that's what's happening right now. So. NFTs have been widely accepted in 2022. I mean, we even talked this week on our podcast on Esports Forever about how the Harvard Business Review had an opinionated and factual article at the same time about how brands should be incorporating NFTs into their companies. I mean, I was I was shocked. I mean, I was like the Harvard Business Review taking time to talk about NFTs and how they should be, you know, a part of a company. Crazy. Well, not really. I mean, look at all of these major brands that are like, you know, I think the the number one way that I've seen NFTs incorporated into the mainstream so far has been buy a ticket to our sports game and we're going to airdrop you an NFT version uh, of that ticket, right? You know, major companies are putting so much money behind these projects. And if you're not a part of it, 
uh, you're you're kind of missing out. And so, right. you know, we we've already talked about the public being divided on these, and we we we've talked about that. And really, it comes back to education, lack of knowledge, and prejudice against something that they really don't know. And I, I want to come out here and say, if there are any of you that might be naysayers or are on the fence about NFTs, you know. What you really need to know and educate yourself on is the utility behind a project. And for me, when I was new, someone says, oh, the utility behind a project, what's that? You know, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, what is that? You know, I, I don't know. Um, utility is really just a fancy word for uh, perks or benefits that, you know, buying an NFT will give you, which at first glance, I'm going to be real, Mark. You know, I look at an NFT when I was uneducated and did not know, and I go, I guess I'm just buying this picture on OpenSea.com. Like, how does that help me at all? Well, it turns out that these projects have communities. They've got perks and benefits for you if you buy into this thing. And, I mean, it's like I'm buying a membership into something that may maybe I really like. And so for Zensportia, you know, the benefits and perks that we have going on, the utility of our NFT is really, I think, where, where it's all about. So... Yeah, please. Yeah, let me break that down into two two categories, three categories, actually. So I think you have what you talked about, which is perks and benefits. That's one uh, benefit or one thing that NFTs are associated with. I think the second thing is even more true utilitarian value. Like uh, it, basically, like if you think of, again, cash or the U.S. dollar, mm -hmm. it's a true utility instrument. Why? Because I can walk in to any business or establishment and use it to pay for anything that I want, right? That's true utility. That means it can be used for something. And so, yes, perks and benefits are great, but hey, can I use this NFT for something? Like, can I use it to get something I want? And I think that part's a little bit fuzzy yet. So I think that's the next kind of thing that we need to solve for with regards to NFTs. Yeah. But perks and benefits, clearly what you talked about is, is, is there. And then I think three is just nostalgia, memorabilia, um, and, uh, and, and art and, and, uh, IP in general, if you want to call it that, or works of art in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and that part I think is really, really super interesting. So if you look at baseball cards, right, there's a whole slew of issues with physical baseball cards. They can get bent, they can get damaged, they can get lost, stolen, uh, they can, you know, go up in flames in a fire. Yep. Um, you can take them into a store and maybe it's it, you found out that it was counterfeit uh, there's all sorts of problems with it and i think the memorabilia aspect of things and you gave a great example of of getting uh dropped a ticket for a game that you went to i went to like the last game at county stadium um back in 2000 uh, in milwaukee before they opened up miller park i can't find the badge that i got to hold around my neck you know the, the pass or whatever it is yeah. it's gone forever like i don't have any idea where it is and so I can tell people I was there, but I have no proof of it. And so, you know, it's that kind of stuff that I think really NFTs are going to be a, a, an amazing solution for because people care about that stuff. People care about their memories. They care about the things tied to their memories. And I think that that's the big thing that they solve for. Uh, and specifically with sports NFTs, the perks and benefits around our community. Um, I think there will be utilitarian value uh, with regards to being able to use it uh, for uh, certain, you know, uh, transactions. And then I think on the on the memory side of things, like, for example, getting an NFT for a tournament that you won or getting an NFT uh, as part of a comp program 
um, that you can, you know, hold forever uh, or getting an NFT, you know, potentially for a ticket, like you talked about with regards to um, attending an event, I think is, is just all tremendous. And that's what we want to be doing here at Sun Sports is mm-hmm. not just creating the artwork because that's cool, but also giving people true utilitarian be- uh, value for their, for their NFTs. So I find that one of the most important aspects of an NFT is, you know, having information on the team itself, otherwise known as, is your team doxxed is the question that people like to ask because transparency is everything. If something is not transparent on the internet and it seems too good to be true, most of the time it is. And that's why in the NFT scene, all these projects that are, you know, out there that are doing stuff, uh, some of them are legit and some of them aren't. And if you can't find proof of a legitimate team and people behind a project, it could easily be what people call a rug pull, which is really just you put the people put the money in and then all of a sudden the money's gone, the founders are gone, Discord gets deleted, boom. You lost out, money's gone, you get nothing and uh, they just took your money. You got swindled. So I just want to rewind for a second and remind everyone that Zen Sports is a fully transparent company with a Nevada gaming license. And we didn't really talk about the arduous process that yourself and your co-founder have <laughs> both had to go through. But, I mean, you described this in the white paper at length about how much you guys have had to do in terms of just getting the Nevada gaming license, which is deep, deep dives into your historical banking records, background checks galore, making sure that, you know, you're not doing anything fraudulent if they gave you a license in Nevada. And so with that in mind, this NFT drop has a fully doxxed team and it couldn't be more clear. I mean, who's behind this project, which is, which is fantastic. And so Mark, I just, I want to give you a moment here. You know, we've got so many different team members on this project. They're all listed on the zensportsia.com website. Uh, they are listed also in the whitelist as well. I love that, by the way, I love seeing white everyone's fa- uh, the white paper. Sorry. Love seeing everyone's face there. A little, the little blurb next to them as well. Kind of what they're doing with the team. I mean, it's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. And so just to give people some uh, kind of idea on that is not only did both Aton, my co-founder and myself uh, and the company Zen Sports as a company have to go through uh, the license application process, um, we or, or the background check process for the gaming license. We also had a full, full deep dive into all of our historical bank statements, credit card statements, tax returns, uh, real estate holdings, investment holdings. I mean, literally the investigators at the Nevada Gaming Control Board would come back and say, what was this line item for $1,236 back in 2013? You know, and uh, we had to have answers for it. Um, and every transaction of material value was scrutinized. And so uh, <laughs> I kind of don't wish that process upon anybody. It was yeah. investigated. Now that it's done, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, I consider it to be, you know, uh, IP for the company and, and for myself is that, you know, this is the, the biggest stamp of approval you can get uh, in this industry and in gaming in general, not just gambling, but in terms of all gaming payments, et cetera. And I feel really proud of that, um, uh, of having gone through that and coming out on the other side of it, um, fully vetted stamp of approval with that. And I, I want everyone to, to know out there that, you know, um, while we're certainly not perfect as a company, we make mistakes. Um, you know, we are doing the right things here in terms of what we're creating on these NFTs. And so those that do decide to be part of our community, those that do decide to purchase an NFT, uh, those that do decide to use our product, uh, can feel good that they're getting in with a team that has really the gold standard 
of uh, vetting um, out there. And so um, I think that's better than anything else that can be said out there for any other, whether it be NFT project or technology company or gaming product. Um, you're getting in with a real winning team here yeah. uh, and a team that's been vetted out. And so um, we feel proud of that. And you can feel proud of that too if you, you know, be part of what we're trying to do. Zen Sports has a lot to offer in the Zen Sports here community uh, in terms of utility. And so, you know, if you could pick one of the, you know, best pieces of utility for what we're doing with Zen Sports here, what would that be to you? Especially, you know, for the present day, for people who are going to be minting um, or for people who are thinking about minting? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a list of benefits uh, and stuff that we're going to be offering on the Zen Sports here website for those that purchase our NFTs. Um, I think to start with, it's going to be centered around um, a lot of those perks and benefits, being able to um, participate in offline in real life events, um, essentially being a member of this club uh, and being able to be a part of giveaways, uh, in-person events, uh, get access to special uh, tournaments that we host, uh, get multipliers on their prize money yeah. um, that regular non-NFT holders won't get, uh, being able to get access to uh, specific Discord channels and communities. Um, that other non-members will not be able to have. Um, and that's going to only increase as time goes on, right? Um, so I don't purport to have it all figured out, but we have a lot of it figured out. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and and look, I think that, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if over time, if we started to, you know, potentially add and bring game titles, you know, under our brand as well too, um, and tie those NFTs into uh, Zen Sports also. Uh, so I, I think... Because we have a full suite of products and solutions on the uh, gaming side, that we can do a lot with our NFTs. Uh, in addition to the fact, this is pretty some pretty awesome artwork. Um, so yeah, so I, I would say those uh, those membership perks and benefits of being part of this community um, compared to non NFT holders uh, is going to be going to be really really awesome. And plus, as I said before, you know you're getting in with a team that has executed on everything that it said it's going to. So if you get in early, uh, there's more risk, sure, but there's also a greater upside and greater opportunity and greater reward for those that do. So if you can handle a little bit of ambiguity at first, you know, I mean, we're only selling our NFTs for 0.1 ETH each if you get in the presale. Uh, it's a, you know, 250, 300 bucks at today's price on, on ETH. Um, we think that that's going to be of good value um, to those that get in at this point. And as we grow over time and continue to add more and more layers to the benefits of NFTs, um, better product offerings, et cetera, that those folks are going to really reap the rewards from that. I was about to ask you what the bottom line was, but you just said it. You, re I think you said it plainly, Mark. I, I think that uh, reap reap the rewards now while you are early, because that's if there if there's nothing that I've heard more that is true about NFT projects, be early. See the transparency. See how good it's going to be before it's gone. So, yeah, I'm a firm believer in always betting on the jockey, not the horse, yeah. um, because the <laughs> horse changes, right? Yep. And the conditions change. But the one stalwart is going to be the jockey. And that's what you want to be betting on. And, and this isn't just with NFTs. Whether you're investing in startups, um, whether you're investing in stocks, uh, whether you're choosing to... Uh, yeah, you know, buy some cryptocurrency, whatever it is that you are thinking of putting your time and hard-earned money into, the most important thing is, is do you believe that those people will execute on what they said they're going to execute on? 
that's really at the end of the day, all that matters. Um, and if you don't believe it, then you shouldn't move forward with it. Like if there's anybody out there that says, oh, this Mark Thomas guy, he's full of shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I actually would say, yeah, then I don't think you should buy our NFTs because we're not going to be able to deliver to you what you're expecting anyways. But if you like what you're hearing and you like what you're seeing and you like what we have delivered on up to this point and feel that that is a promise of things to come, then you absolutely should be getting into this because I think the downside is pretty mitigated and the upside is pretty infinite. Well said. Well, Mark, thank you so much. That's all the time we have today uh, here on the Fast Crypto Podcast. But a big shout out to you and the entire team at Zen Sports for all the hard work you're doing today. I know that there is much more to do. It's only 2 o'clock in the afternoon here on the Eastern, East Coast, and there is just so so much incredible stuff happening. I know we have the Axie Infinity Tournament, the first big event, Battle of the Guilds, this upcoming Saturday. Uh, so that's tomorrow. a really big deal. Huge deal. Tomorrow. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Be sure to tune in for that. It's going to be on our uh, live streaming sites, Twitch, Theta, Facebook, that sort of stuff. And remember, the whitelist is open right now. Please uh, become an applicant. It's 0.1 ETH for the pre-sale. But once we go public on March 30th, it's going to be 0.15. So it's it's going to be a little bit more expensive. So get in now while you can because we're doing daily giveaways and contests galore. It's going to be fantastic. But that is all the time we have for this video today. If you did like it, be sure to subscribe, like, follow, and let us know how we did. Talk to us in the comments below. Let us know what you want to hear about next time because this is not the last time we're going to have Mark on here. I have a good feeling that we're going to be seeing you again real soon. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Great Thank job. Thank you so Talk much, you Mark. Peace. 